giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Chelsea Moore, co-founder and CEO of BoxFox. Chelsea, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So I was looking at BoxFox and was really intrigued and excited in some ways based on the work that we've been doing and that I've been doing. So why don't you tell people what BoxFox actually is? Uh, Yeah, so we are a gifting company and we launched in 2014 because of the need for purposeful presentable gifting. We had a good friend who was hospitalized and none of us could really leave work to go be at her side. And we couldn't leave work to put together packages. And we've all been in that situation where we have, you know, the intention, but we might not have the time. And we were just like, why is there nothing better out there? I'm not going to send her Postmates of food. I'm not going to send her Amazon Prime boxes. I really want to send her something that's going to make her stay in the hospital better as if we were physically there for her, you know, dropping off products and care packages and things like that. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And that inspired the idea of build a box Fox, which is our proprietary platform where you can build your own gifts and care packages from all the best brands in one place. And we really wanted to imitate the experience of driving around to, you know, Anthropology, Nordstrom, your favorite local boutique, Michael's, Joanne's Fabrics, and UPS, and make it a five-minute, seamless, beautiful experience. And so that was the main idea. We obviously have a diversified portfolio. We have expertly pre-curated boxes for the people who just want to grab and go, the option to build your own. And we also have a large scale corporate business where we apply a lot of our learnings and data and aesthetics to everyone from small boutique agencies to Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we are and what we do. And we're turning five this year. And so it's been a really fun time. Congratulations. So lots of people have ideas, right? Like, you know, you had this pain and you wanted to solve it and you realize this doesn't exist. The trick is to move from that idea to actually executing on it and being successful with it. Why were you able to make that leap, do you think? And was it hard? No, it was hard. I think there's a lot of naivete that comes from being, we were 22 at the time. And I, so I think it was a lot of like, let's try this. It started with kind of drawing like actual wireframes on mm-hmm. printer paper of kind of what we thought the experience should feel like. And, you know, kind of shopping around different developers and kind of trying to convey our vision to different people out there. And then we finally met this guy, James Van Erk, who has been our development partner since the beginning who took all of our dreams and brought them to life and continues to do so. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was not a quick and easy thing and it was definitely like a lot of unknowns, but we were able to build, you know, he totally understood everything I was trying to say and all the weird chicken scratch I was drawing out. And he was like, I totally get it. And we were able to bring it to market. Uh, We launched in November, 2014 and build a box box. We launched in June of 2015. So what's your background and the background of your co-founders that either enabled or lended themselves to being able to actually build this business? Yeah, so I was a political science and English major at UCLA. And I met Jenny at UCLA and she studied international development studies and Sabina studied public relations and marketing at USC. Mm -hmm. And so I think that 
in those kind of more liberal arts majors, you learn to think critically in different ways. That's what I always tell people when they're like, your major doesn't apply to what you're doing. (laughs) But actually, you know, if you put together the like critical thinking and the people studying that goes with liberal arts majors combined with a pretty long roster for all three of us of internships and jobs, you know, you can come up with a pretty comprehensive starting point. Mm -hmm. So during college, I worked in marketing for a large clothing company, Brandy Melville. And that company was really great because everybody that worked there except for the founders was under 25. And, you know, they were rapidly expanding and I was flying around helping to open stores and launching their social media when social media was in its infancy and, you know, staying up for Black Friday, helping to liquidate inventory in new and creative ways through like sample sales. So it was just a lot of very like grassroots marketing and stuff like that. And I think that just the ability or the opportunity to roll up my sleeves and work hard for a company that kind of let me contribute whatever I wanted to contribute really gave me a platform to kind of have the tenacity to launch something from scratch. And I think the same could be said for my co-founders and their experiences. That's great. So you launched in 2014. Mm-hmm. When did you actually start? the business and building towards launch? We started meeting. So the idea kind of came about December of 2013. So that was six months after I graduated from college. And we started, me, Jenny and Sabina, my co-founders, we started meeting multiple nights a week in January. And we were very, very consistent. So probably, you know, 10 months leading up to November, we're meeting two to three times a week. We had a guy who was building our website. You know, I was running around trying to get business licenses and all sorts Mm -hmm. of different things. So it it was like that length of time. Was there a point at which you all looked at each other after you had that initial idea and said, we're doing this, like it's a thing we're actually doing, or did you organically just pick it up and pull the thread? You know, if I'm being honest, there was absolutely no hesitation. And and from January onward, it was like, yeah, we're doing this slowly but surely. And there was no gun to our head or urgency, but we were definitely in it. And then it was in June of that year when I quit my ad agency job that it was like, oh, we're really doing this. Like, let's mm-hmm. date on the calendar. Like, let's go. And so it was a couple months into it that we were like, all right, it's time. It's go time. <laughs> How did you fund the development of the first version? We were self-funded from then until now. Mm -hmm. I had saved a bit of money through college and, you know, I had paid internships and unpaid internships, paid jobs. I had a little bit of a nest egg and we kind of put that in and have been recuperating it and growing ever since. Do you think that you will continue to be self-funded throughout the life? Uh, which is hopefully a long life, <laughs> Box Fox, or can you see the company raising outside money eventually? I think that we're going to stay as self-funded for as long as possible. It kind of goes with our philosophy. You know, we've been able to grow and scale without taking outside money. And I just don't think that you should take outside money if you don't need outside money. Do you think that if you found that you weren't able to grow and scale like you wanted to, if you needed more capital, you would do that? Or are you more motivated to figure out how to do it yourself? I think we're more motivated to figure out how to do it ourselves. And and in the beginning, it was we need proof of concept. This is not something that people have really been doing the way that we, we were doing it. And so we wanted pridefully to kind of make sure that it was a profitable thriving business model on its own. And, you know, from there, we've grown into the philosophy of 
you know, we can do it ourselves. And obviously if certain situations arise where we would need tons of money for venture or other things, we'd obviously pursue it. But for now we've been doing just fine and that's kind of okay. Mm -hmm. As you worked on that first version as a team and with the developer, what surprised you the most about that? Because all of you hadn't actually built a product like this before, right? That it didn't exist. When I went into it, I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, we'll kind of you know find something out there that might be like an inventory bundling type open API thing. And it didn't really exist. And we realized, oh, you know what? It's going to be better if we just do this ourselves from scratch. And so A, that, and B, how you can really make anything happen if you really stick to it. I know that's super cheesy, but mm. that we were relentless. I mean, it wasn't like we weren't going to do it. Even when things were like, oh, you know, maybe the first iteration is not beautiful. But we're like, nope, keep going. We got to hammer this out. Yeah, I've, I've asked people this question before, and it is like, what might have happened at that point to actually cause you to stop? Is there anything that could have happened? You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but... <laughs> In the beginning, I think like, this is so interesting, but there was a lot of issues with making sure we could bundle inventory appropriately, um, appropriately sales tax, appropriately ship. And that was a big trifecta of issues mm-hmm. when we were building something from scratch on e-commerce platforms. And there wasn't, this was 2014 you know, and it wasn't as perfect as it is now. And not being able to figure that out was driving me nuts, but it's so dumb. Like everything just kept working out. I, like we were able to find remedies and solutions that kept us moving forward. I think, I don't know if anything looking back in that state of mind would have stopped us. Just again, we were so young and tenacious and hungry, but that was definitely a a pain point was those figuring out those three things. Mm -hmm. So you launch and I'm sure you had millions and millions of customers right away, right? (laughs) Of course. No, actually (laughs) I laughed because it felt like we launched November 7th of 2014 and we were so busy, the three of us, you know, Jenny and Spina still worked their full-time jobs. They were coming home from work and we were packing all the boxes ourselves. And we thought, I mean, we maybe made like $4,000 in those like six weeks, something like super small. And we thought it was like the most exciting thing on planet earth. Mm-hmm. We were so busy and so big, but honestly, we've done really well and grown really organically, tripling years, doubling years. And now we are in this awesome warehouse in Hawthorne, California, and we've got 25 employees, which is so amazing. So yeah, almost a million customers. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you approach launch and how have you approached things since then? to grow? You say it's growing organically, but there must have been something that you've done intentionally to get the word out and to, besides going on podcasts like this. Yeah. And obviously I wasn't doing that in the beginning. Right. Back to the Brandy Melville days, they did not spend a cent on marketing. It was all, maybe they sent, I guess, you know, technically they sent an influencer a package or they paid my salary, but they were not spending these fees on these rate cards or doing Google AdWords, they weren't doing any of that. And so Mm -hmm. I learned like, oh, wow, you can kind of go at the wall and see how much you can get for little. And I really believed in that philosophy. So in the beginning, we leaned really heavily on Instagram and we were a very aesthetically pleasing brand. And so that voted really well for us. 
Pinterest also really well for us. We didn't spend money on marketing or like paid social until a year ago. And even then, we don't really do it that often. I remember the first night when we launched, Jenny, Sabina, and I sat down at our laptops and we wrote emails to every single person we'd ever met in our entire lives. I mean, I'm talking TAs, librarians, cousins, (laughs) second cousins, just to be like, hey, I know I haven't talked to you in a while. I'm working on this. Would love if you could check it out and give me some feedback. And so we we started by emailing, you know, like 5,000 people. And then from there, you know, we... We now have a pretty amazing and engaged community and and we do pretty extensive email campaigns and we're still heavily on social. We do like some fun partnerships where we, you know, do gifting for KCRW and in exchange, we get some great radio ads and, and digital ad space. But a lot of it, there's a virality to kind of in one purchase, you have the sender and the recipient for our company. And so there's a lot of discovery through that as well. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, just those kind of things, it makes me sound like I don't know what I'm talking about because there's so many little organic things that have happened, but it's just really grown at such a natural pace. And obviously now we have a publicist and and we're more serious about launches and and things like that. But back then it was just trying to keep up with ourselves and, and kind of share, hey, we're working on this, you know? Yeah. Are there things that you've talked about as a team or that stand out in your mind as like, I wish we had done this differently. And if we had, I would be either happier or, you know, we maybe could have grown a little faster or anything like that. I don't know. I, there hasn't been too many mistakes that have, you know, altered the path to the point of where I'm kind of dwelling in that Mm -hmm. way. There was a point, you know, maybe two years in where so many opportunities were coming our way that it was almost hard to pick. And, you know, every partnership, every endeavor, every retail pop-up takes so much energy when you're a small team. A good example of that is we've done quite a few retail pop-ups at some beautiful shopping centers here in Los Angeles, the Grove Mm -hmm. and Century City. And Century City, it was a thing where it was like, do we do it? Because it just, it is so much when you're, you know, at that point we were 15 people. And, you know, you've got to man the store for those crazy hours. You've got to do the build out. You've got to pad your inventory. You've got to just so many different things. And it's almost like, did sales suffer on our e-com during that time when we were trying to make sure that was afloat? But we try not to kind of focus on too many things. You really have to focus on what you're trying to move forward, finish that task, and then move on. I think that can be hard as a, a founder, particularly... If you are getting these opportunities, I think you naturally want to say yes to all of them. <laughs> you know, you you want to capture it while it's available. You don't want to turn down the thing that could have been really successful. And you feel especially, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, since you're bootstrapping and self-funded, probably you felt like you didn't have the luxury to turn away opportunities. Yeah. And the same thing for, you know, corporate clients. Mm-hmm. We've had great clients. We've had not so great clients. But in the beginning, you don't want to say no to anything. You want to just be like, yes, 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 momentum, move it forward. Then you get to a point where you're like, okay, the three of us are very, very clear on what we want this company to be both internally and externally. And if a partnership or an opportunity didn't directly serve that trajectory, then we said no. And Mm -hmm. getting to a point where we could finally be a little bit more discerning felt really good. That's great. So now that you have that sense, what are some of those things? What do you want the company to be? What does it stand for? 
how does it set itself apart? You know, there's two answers to that. It's what it is for the customers and what it is for the employees, because we care so deeply about both. Mm-hmm. For internally, we really want this to be a happy and healthy work environment that looks at work-life balance a little bit more holistically than any of the jobs or offices that we all were in previously. Mm -hmm. You know, we try to minimize red tape and let people try new things and reward progress and, and things like that. And then Externally, I mean, we just want to be the go-to for gifting. We want to be a long-standing, privately held, no bullshit company that treats its customers so amazingly that you can't help but speak evangelically about your experience with VoxVox and how accessible the employees are and how amazing the offerings are and how easy the products are to use. So after your founding team... Who was the next person that you added to the team? Um, the first hire was actually Grace, who is our new business account executive. So she handles inside sales for the corporate side. And she is actually the friend that was hospitalized that sparked the whole idea. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> and so you were friends before. Yeah. So did you know right away that you wanted to, to hire her and that she was the right fit? Yeah, it's one of those things where it kind of just... The opportunity presented itself in her life at the same time we were looking to fill that position. And it kind of just worked out in terms of capability, experience, and goals for her. And we have, in the beginning, looked to a lot of friends and friends of friends, first and foremost, to kind of fill our positions. But yeah, Mm -hmm. she was the first official hire at BoxBox. So given that you internally, you have these goals around having a, a different kind of workplace, you know, less red tape and allows people to try new things. How intentional did you feel like you needed to be around hiring and onboarding and everything with those first hires when they were people that you already knew? Um, you have to be really intentional. I always say this to people, just because you are a workplace that is okay with hiring friends doesn't mean every single one of your friends should work for you. <laughs> There's definitely a fine line. There's definitely people in my life I would never in a million years work on the same team as. But super intentional. I mean, we've only had to fire one person. We've only had one other person leave. And I think that that says a lot about kind of how thoughtful we are and bringing on new people into our culture and our atmosphere here. What are some of the things that you do that you think are working in that in that regard? There's a couple different things. It's making sure that their goals and aspirations are aligned with your goals and aspirations for that position. That's Mm -hmm. a huge thing. I mean, I'm sure every large company knows hiring is one of, I mean, it's been one of my biggest challenges, especially as someone who's younger than a lot of my employees. But it's important to make sure that their goals are aligned. And a question that we always ask new hires is what's an example of a time that you kind of left your own responsibilities to aid somebody else in their goals or tasks at a previous job or experience or organization. Because I think that making sure that you're the type of person who's truly a team player is really important here. How long have you been asking that question right from the beginning? No, definitely not. Uh, Probably the last two years. Was there a point at which you or someone else on the team said, hey, we're looking at our interview process and what are the questions? What are the values that we care about? Like, or did that just organically happen? 
you know, it came to a point where we were just like, that's something that really matters here. That's something mm-hmm. that's really important in the day to day. We should just start asking that up front. I want concrete examples. Yeah. You're at 25 people now. What's the sort of breakdown of that team? So we've got the three co-founders. We have a sales team. We have a production team that handles the corporate sales production because it's pretty large scale. And then we have the B2C team, which is the girl who manages the entire direct-to-consumer experience, the customer service team, and the fulfillment team underneath them. And where do you see you know, the growth going for you all? I think right now, corporate and B2C are equal in terms of revenue for us. It's 50-50, but I really do think that continuing to grow and invest in our corporate business is kind of the immediate focus. We've got a, a yeah. lot of fun things for both sides on the docket, though. You know, We're launching a loyalty program in the next couple of weeks, new products, manufacturing some of our own products, and taking some of the data and design experience on our side and applying that to manufacturing. And yeah, that's kind of what's on the docket for the next two years, I would say. Given that you're self-funded and and given that you don't have external investment, what kind of revenue planning do you around to make sure that you can fund growth and and ongoing investment? Jenny, my co-founder, she's our COO and she kind of handles the majority of our finances, but we can't do everything at once. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the nature of being self-funded. And it's about prioritizing what's going to move the needle the most and and do that first and go down the list and just keep going. Our business as gifting, you would think it's seasonal and, and it is, it has its seasonal spikes, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day and Christmas are obviously the most intense times here, but there is a solid stream of use cases as the year goes on that keeps the cash flow pretty healthy and enables us to do some fun things. So getting back to the product side of, of things, and when it really comes to what you've actually put together, the store, the platform, do you have people on your team that are doing that or are you still working with people outside? So our developer is on retainer, but technically he is on the outside. Mm-hmm. He's been a wonderful partner and his entire company is is so great to us because our belief is really simple, user-friendly solutions. Mm-hmm. Build a box box was obviously the first. It's actually on its third iteration. It looks pretty similar to how it's always looked, but we've on the inside upgraded it a few times, applying similar types of tech-based streamlining solutions for our corporate side is definitely something that we're working on in the next year. Is everything custom built or are you building on top of any sort of existing platforms or code? Everything's custom built. So it takes a little bit longer, but it's definitely worth it for us. The most exciting thing though, last year that we did that wasn't perfectly custom built that we actually used a API of another company is there's finally a solution for multiple address checkout a pain point for our customers when you're buying gifts, especially around the holidays when you're buying multiple gifts, is that you want to buy 10 gifts, you want to ship it to 10 different people, you want to do it in one checkout. But Mm -hmm. you want to have streamlined, separately sent tracking numbers and all that sort of stuff. And with sales tax and properly metered shipping, that wasn't always a possibility. Even on some of the larger e-commerce platforms, Magenta, BigCommerce, Shopify, I kept being told, no, that doesn't exist yet. Um, And the only place I'd seen an example of it was Amazon, which obviously they build their own. 
Right. So that was like my secret biggest pain point thing that I wanted to figure out in 2018. And we ended up finding a company that had kind of created a solution. So now when you go into our checkout, you have multiple boxes. It asks you, are you shipping to one address or multiple addresses? And if it's multiple, it pops up in this really streamlined, beautiful checkout process where you're implementing everything and you're getting all the tracking separately and it's all very, very streamlined and and thorough. So Mm -hmm. that's the only thing that we don't own technology wise, but it is one of my favorite things on our website. You've mentioned before design and brand were really important to you. How did you go about creating that? For us, we are our consumer and Mm -hmm. I kind of oversee a lot of the design and branding with obviously Jenny and Spina's input. I mean, from the beginning, we knew we wanted kind of a nude black and white aesthetic because we wanted the gifts and the relationships to be able to speak for themselves and exist kind of above the Boxbox brand, being supported by the Boxbox brand, having it be neutral enough that you would send it for multiple things to multiple people for multiple occasions and still feel streamlined and elevated. So some of the initial things that informed the brand were we wanted, you know, a very elevated neutral color palette. We wanted the boxes to be substantial and rigid the same way when we were younger and I would pull my mom's, you know, coach or Louis Vuitton boxes that were always so luxe and, you know, put keepsakes in them and save them for different reasons. We wanted to create that same kind of experience where the box 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 could be used as a keepsake. So that kind of informed in the beginning. And, and ever since then, we've grown and streamlined since then. I got to a point a year in where I made a brand deck and I was like, this is our tone of voice. This is our fonts. These are our color palettes and color stories. And, and it's just kind of gone from there. I'm obviously the one that approves everything still. <laughs> but, you know, we let kind of that first year inform the next So what I'm hearing is that you didn't work with an outside branding agency or that kind of thing. You primarily did it on your own. Yes. You realize that's not normal, right? Yeah, that's not normal. (laughs) (laughs) So why did it work? You know, I don't know. Maybe we have a good eye. That's what I tell people because I feel like, again, back to Brandy, that was how Brandy was. They kind of let the initial structure of the retail space inform what the brand evolved into. It wasn't very calculated. And I also believe like for us, a brand is a living, breathing thing and it doesn't need to be so calculated. Like we don't plan our social. Then people think that's insane. But I'm just like, what do people like? What do people not like? I'm being force fed so much calculated crap on the daily of what I need to buy I want box box to feel like a little bit of a reprieve from that. So, I mean, yeah, it's probably not normal. And a lot of people, I mean, it's sad to say a lot of people just don't have a good eye for themselves. Mm -hmm. And the same way I, you know, outsource development because you're supposed to hire people that are better at things that you're not good at. Some other people need to outsource their branding, which is fine. But we just were lucky and the three of us really kind of knew what we wanted. And like when it was all kind of being put together, I remember... We, we made the box design. We really wanted like a long-lipped two-piece box. And we were putting the logo on it. And we were kind of playing around with the bow. And it was actually Sabina who was like, we should do a left-adjacent bow tie. And so that kind of became a staple for us. It seems like there's a common thread here or through line through all of the challenges that you faced. You've taken them on yourselves and you've had the tenacity to, to work through them. You just look at the picture of one of your boxes, 
if you really break down how many different line items of effort would go into not only creating that box, but then fulfilling everyone, I think that's pretty impressive. Well, thanks. And, and for us, it was really like when we were first starting, all the examples out there that we had seen were like, oh, you need to outsource your fulfillment or, mm-hmm. oh, you need to be spending tons of money on Google AdWords. Oh, you know, like all these people telling us how it needs to be. And we were like, no, like we don't have to pay for advertising yet. And like, eh, I don't think we're ever going to outsource our fulfillment. I think we can figure out a streamlined way that is cost effective. And, and we have, I mean, we, before this past Christmas had 15 employees and we've to date shipped over a hundred thousand boxes. Like it's amazing what one person can do in a day if it's streamlined and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And I and I credit Jenny for that. Jenny has really, really maximized efficiency in our warehouse and enabled us to be a fully owned and operated fulfillment process. So in a world, you know, where Amazon is Amazon and the internet is the way that it is, how do you think about how Boxbox fits within that? And interplay of competition and where the market is like, how much do you think about that? How much do you worry about it? And where do you see yourself fitting? Amazon's a separate thing. I'll, I'll, I'll drop mm-hmm. it. When it comes to like all these copycat brands that come after us, more power to them as long as they're not plagiarizing, which a lot of them are, keeps our lawyers very busy. If you're doing your own thing, go for it. All hail capitalism. I know from firsthand experience though, It is a hard, very labor-intensive process to get to where we are today. Um, I mean, we were in an apartment for two years of the almost five. We were driving all around LA. We were dropping off our own boxes. We were packing and carrying and doing everything. And I don't think I could have done it by myself. I think definitely multiple founders is key. So I don't worry so much about the other types of gift boxes that are happening. And then Mm -hmm. in the legacy brands, like the Harry and Davids, you know, they're not fulfilling everything in house. They don't have that brand control at a super granular and hands-on level. I know that for a fact. So it's not like the little ones are scaring me or the big ones are scaring me too much Yeah, because we've created this company and this brand. We have a lot of control over our process and we're really committed to the value of being hands-on. And we really live and breathe by the idea of we are a company that's helping people maintain their personal and professional relationships in a really tangible, personal and beautiful way. And we live and breathe that in house by the way that we handle those orders and those customers and and their boxes that represent way larger situations and relationships. So Amazon? Yeah, back on Amazon. Um <laughs> I don't really know. I don't really know the gift box meets Amazon situation yet. If we were selling our own individual right. item, it'd be a totally different conversation. So Amazon obviously doesn't do the same thing, but it does dictate expectations around what e-commerce is right. like. And I have much more to say about that. So like, yeah. I think that for being a 25-person company, we pretty much ship everything ordered before like two or 3 p.m. the same day. And it's right. in there within two to four days. So considering yeah. we're not Amazon, I feel like we're keeping up considering the volume that we're shipping out. I am really proud of that. 
But did you feel like you had to do that in order to meet consumers' expectations? Yes. Yeah. I think that Amazon really makes people unrealistic. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen with that for just our own standards. Like it's been pretty successful and streamlined for us to get to a point where we're able to do that. And I'm really, really proud of that. And yes, it enables us to keep up with the likes of Amazon and the standards that they put into place. But something that we always really put into practice, even in communicating with our customers, is there are human beings who work here and there are human beings behind every e-commerce company. And I will preach that until the day we die because like there, you know, I give our entire warehouse Christmas to New Year's off and we put on our website, nothing will ship during these five business days. And I'm sorry about that. And this is the only time of the year that we'll offer the option to cancel your order. But you know, these people work so hard and these are real people too. And they have a family and that's all I say. And I stand by that. And we Mm -hmm. haven't had a complaint and people totally get it. That's great to hear that you stick by that, but also that people generally get it too. Yeah. And like, I think that's where the Amazon issue is. Mm -hmm. is It's like this expectation that, it's going to show up within two days for free from like the stork, the package fairy or whatever. And it's like, right. yeah, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of cost that goes into that. There's a lot of labor that goes into that. And we're really proud of what we've been able to accomplish at our size. And we hope to continue that speed and efficiency for our customers. It's the same way that like when you tell someone that they should work in a restaurant job or a service job when they're in high school to kind of show them the other side. (laughs) I feel like everyone should have one or two retail experiences so that they understand what really goes into e-com or shipping and things like that. Well, the shipping is another area where I talk to people who run small e-commerce or businesses and, and it's, you know, the expectations that not only shipping time, but like the costs of shipping, free shipping basically is really hard to do yeah. for most companies and consumers' expectations aren't set appropriately. So there's a lot of pressure around shipping costs. Agreed. And for us, I mean, we've now been able this year to offer free shipping on all orders over $75. In our loyalty program, there's going to be some really amazing free shipping perks built in for level two and up. But if you ever meet an angry customer who's like, I can't believe your shipping is whatever. It's like, yeah, I would offer everything for free if I could, because I would love that. And we all love that. (laughs) None of us are running a charity. Like, let's dig deeper here. So I'm proud of where we are and where we're moving. And hopefully we get to a place where we can offer quote unquote free shipping because shipping is never free. Let's be honest. There's always a cost somewhere. Either you're paying or the company's paying. I think that people gravitate towards brands and companies that align with their values and their purpose. And so in some ways, one of the ways you can combat that is exactly what you've done with the time off between Christmas and New Year's. Make it super clear to people what you stand for and what you believe, then people will come to you for that. Yeah. And and we're so passionate about that. I just, I don't think anything needs to happen that week. <laughs> like, yeah. or, especially as, I mean, our Christmases are exhausting. So right. it's just much needed. And customers have been really great about it. Well, Chelsea, thank you for joining me and sharing your experience with all of us. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, Well, you don't need luck. You just need to work hard, according to you. (laughs) Uh, I wish you the best. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to chat with you. We haven't said the domain name yet. 
So if people want to get a box and find out more about the company, where's the best place for them to do that? So you can find us at www.shopboxfox.com and you can use code thefoxfind10 on your first order. And you can find us on Instagram at shopboxfox. Wonderful. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best. Thank you. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.